Welcome to the Four Teachers Podcast. I'm your host, James Meston. Today on the podcast, we're going to be featuring an episode which is part of a fantastic series, all of which will be available on this channel, all to do with STEM, which Catholic Education Essay and EduChange produced last year. Uh, first, just quickly, if you do enjoy these episodes and want to hear more stories about what's happening across Catholic education in SA, I think you'll really enjoy the School Life podcast, all about what's happening in our schools from the students' perspective. I'll put a link to that channel in our show notes. Okay, add over. Here's the episode. When I was a kid, you, you just had to try to get the best score in maths and science and English. And it was very solo endeavor that you just, you know, you're all kind of competing with each other in a way to, to try to beat each other to get the best score. And uh, what happens is that when you get into a workplace, you realize that it's not really competitive, but really the people who do the best are the ones who can collaborate with other people. If you want to go uh, fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. STEM education is undoubtedly a hot topic in education systems worldwide. In this Catholic Education South Australia STEM podcast, we talk to leaders in science, technology, engineering and maths about the value of STEM learning and the future of STEM careers. These are the stories of STEM in South Australia. John Sung is the CEO and co-founder of Makers Empire, a company here in Adelaide that helps K-8 educators teach design thinking, STEM and 21st century learning skills using 3D printing and 3D design. To date, Makers Empire student designers have created over 8.5 million designs using Makers Empire 3D, which is about 50,000 new designs every day. John holds a Bachelor of Computer Science with Honours and a Bachelor of Law with Honours from Adelaide University and a Master of Science in IT from Carnegie Mellon University. Prior to starting up Makers Empire, John worked in software development at IBM, Internode and the Royal Adelaide Hospital and he's founded up other IT startups. I'm Maddie Scott-Jones, Chief Operating Officer at Education Changemakers, and we are thrilled to have partnered with Catholic Education South Australia to produce this STEM podcast. Today, I'm pumped to speak with John Sung about the role 3D printing and design can play in STEM education and STEM careers, and about his professional experiences in STEM and entrepreneurship. Welcome to this Catholic Education South Australia podcast, John. Oh, thank you. It's great to be on here. Let's start by talking about the world of design thinking, 3D design, um, 3D printing. Sometimes I think some of these trends sort of come and go in education and it would be easy to think that this was potentially a bit of a fad. Um, it's not a fad though and I, I know that I know that design thinking and 3D modeling and printing is here to stay but could you tell us why it's important for secondary school students to be engaging with these skills? So uh, what Maker's Empire actually teaches design thinking um, in the context of uh, 3D design and 3D printing as a tool. Now, um, as you probably know, design thinking is a, a problem-solving methodology, so it's a way to approach a problem and, uh, and try to find a solution for it. And it's this type of skills, these problem-solving skills, which we, we think are really, really important. So they're kind of lifelong skills that we think uh, all students uh, would be great to have. And it's a tool they can carry around with them uh, in their toolkit. But we teach it in the context of 3D design and 3D printing. So you could teach design thinking with paddle pop sticks and uh, cardboard. Um, but we think it's better to teach it with 3D design and 3D printing as that's going to be a future technology uh, that kids will get, have a great advantage if they know it at an earlier age. Mm. 
That's cool. And the, the technology itself is really impressive and, and very exciting as well. And I think it's becoming, um, you know, it's got a huge range of applications. Uh, I, I know I had some conversations with students in the lead up to this our conversation and the complexity of the things that we can 3D print um, astounded some of them. Let's hear now from Sanskar at Thomas More College. He's in year 11. I feel that 3D printing actually gives you a chance and pretty much society a chance to create things that we might not usually able to create like some things that i've seen you physically can't create them so like i saw this one video on the internet about like a clockwork with like gears inside like a gear and stuff so physically you wouldn't be able to put like something that tiny inside like that but 3D printing, you get to create it from like the inside out instead of just creating it from the outside. And even the materials that we use can really be manipulated to create whatever we want. Like I've heard 3D printing is, you can 3D print food, you can 3D print like whole body parts and like maybe ears or a nose or anything. And you can even 3D print with different sorts of metal so it's a really broad area that could be explored and can really help a lot of society, yeah. Uh, ultimately, 3D design means we can create things that we otherwise wouldn't be able to create. So do you have any great examples of the complexity of things that we can do with 3D design and printing? Well, really, the one of the main advantages of 3D design or uh, and 3D printing and what they call additive manufacturing, uh, which is 3D printing, uh, is the fact that you can customize things uh, and one-off objects become less costly. So traditionally, if you wanted a chair or something, you know, someone would design a chair and then everyone gets, you know, about the same chair. They have to make thousands of chairs that are pretty much the same. And and because of the way, uh, you know, countries have evolved, that is most likely to be made in China and shipped over to somewhere like Australia. Uh, and they have to do it in mass production. And that's the cheapest way to do it. What something like 3D printing does is it allows people to make uh, one-off objects that are made just for them, so customized for them, uh, without that much of a cost penalty, which means it's not going to cost that much more. At the moment, it does cost more because we spent the last 200 years building out logistics chains of, um, you know, ships and and air freight and all these, you know, factories in China and, and all over the place. But as this technology evolves, what we'll find is that making things that are one-off, that are customized just for you, uh, won't be more expensive than making something uh, for the masses. Uh, and that's as, that, that can be as, you know, as, as simple as something like a chair, but then it also becomes things like uh, medical uh, procedures, which is one of the first things we've seen, one of the first ones that, we, uh, that people are already using at denti- at, at, in the production today is at dentists, where Previously, you would you would have a tooth fall out, and, and then a dentist has to actually had to mold you a new tooth. Nowadays, they can scan it um, with a tool, and then they can actually 3D print out a, a tooth that would fit uh, perfectly. Because the fidelity, obviously, of a of a scan is much greater than than someone um, making a tooth by hand. Amazing. So, so the medical profession is kind of leading the way in in the use of 3D design in many ways. Yeah, that's right. Well, what we're seeing at the moment is that most 3D design and most 3D printing is done at the very high end, which is the very expensive end. So that means medical procedures, things like, um, you know, if you if you had a knee replaced, 
you know, you're not going to you're not going to get the cheap knee replacement. So, you know, you go for the most expensive one. So, the uh, 3D printing manufacturers are really targeting those um, types of sectors. So that is things like medical, but also uh, things like high-end engineering. So people building rockets um, and defense, uh, different types of high-end manufacturing, like F Formula One cars uh, have 3D components in them now because obviously for a Formula One car, it's a very custom piece and it's a very expensive piece. So they can really afford to do it uh, using 3D printing. Mm, that's cool. And I guess what you are doing is you're giving young people an opportunity to experiment with the 3D printing, but you said that the most important thing is the process of design that they take in order to get to that point where they're, they're clicking print on the printer. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we we hope the design thinking aspect is something that all kids will take with them uh, who do our program and, and learn about uh, design thinking and you know how to approach a problem in a different way. Uh, we, we kind of realize that not every kid is going to be an engineer or a scientist, uh, but we think it's great for everyone to have a little bit of an experience, a little bit of understanding of what 3D printing is. Uh, one of the reasons why we think this is that uh, we believe that you know, if the society or the economy as a whole is going to be able to embrace this type of future technology and, and really, um, you know, high-end manufacturing, you can't just have a few people who know about it. It needs to be widespread uh, amongst the whole community. So an example would be if you went uh, to somewhere that didn't know about computers, it wouldn't really help you if you had three people who were experts and you dropped them into, say, a village where no one knew about computers. Um, you're not going to be able to build, you know, big companies and fantastic innovations. What you need is everyone to be rising up together. So learning a little bit about 3D and a little bit about um, additive manufacturing or 3D printing, we think uh, is fantastic, not only just for the individual kids, but it's important for, um, you know, the whole society and the economy as a whole. Mm. Uh, increasingly in schools uh, and because of, of changes in the Australian curriculum um, that are not recent but um, we're, we're talking about the general capabilities so general capabilities are the knowledge skills and behaviours that young people sort of need in order to become successful in the 21st century and in life yep. and, and work beyond school um, and uh, we integrate them at the moment throughout our traditional cur curriculum areas but they involve things like ICT capability, critical and creative thinking, uh, personal and social capability I'm, I'm wondering in your workplace because I know it's um, it's fast-paced and there's an element of entrepreneurship and um, and then you've got the IT how do you see these sort of general skills um, playing out why are they important in your workplace and why should young people be focusing on those general capabilities as well as their deep content knowledge in schools yeah, I mean, we think that the the obviously you know the 21st century skills that people talk about. Um, it, it used to be that people needed to know lots of things because that was where the value was. So, you know, if you knew lots of facts or you knew how to do certain types of maths, um, there was huge value in that. But as technology has developed, um, those types of skills have become less important. I mean, not less important; they're still very important, but not as important maybe as they once were. So it doesn't matter if you, you know, don't know all the facts of something at the moment because it's very easy to find it. You can just look it up on the internet and pretty much the whole world, you know, the history of world's knowledge is, you know, at everyone's fingertips. So it becomes more important not just to know those facts, which, which was really important before, but how to use them and how to um, use them by working with other people 
um, you know, creatively and innovatively to put them together to, um, you know, make things of, of value and create, um, you know, important things or things that will help people. Uh, so we think that, that those types of skills, um, you know, around the creativity and the collaboration and the problem solving uh, are definitely the types of skills that will be required more and more into the future. Uh, when I was a kid, um, it was very much you just had to try to get the best score in maths and science and English and, you know, in your subjects. And, and it was very solo endeavor that you just, you know, you're all kind of competing with each other in a way to, to try to beat each other to get the best score. And uh, what happens is that when you get into a workplace, you realize that it's not really competitive in that way. I mean, there is still competition, uh, but really the people who do the best are the ones who can collaborate with other people uh, the best because, you know, I think there's some quote that says something like, um, if you want to go uh, fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Mm. So, uh, you know, we think that's a really important type of idea that we want to go far. So, you know, we've all got to make sure we get on together and uh, get on the same boat together and uh, be able to contribute and uh, work as a team uh, to build, you know, whatever we're building. Mm. Do you think skills like collaboration can be taught? Oh, I definitely think they can be, yes. Yeah. So how, do, how um, do you foster that in, in your work environment? Uh, so in the work environment, we have different teams that do things. So, you know, it's it's really hard to make decisions on what to do. So, uh, you know, we obviously use design thinking as one of the, you know, one of the tools that we can use to approach a problem. Because making a decision, uh, you know, I mean, even if you're, if you're a student, you know, your teacher doesn't know all the answers. At, 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 at a workplace, your boss doesn't know all the answers. They don't know the solution. And I think, um, you know, good good bosses will probably treat it like that. But for a lot of things, I don't know. And it's, and it's about creating a process and improving a process to make good decisions. And if you can get input from other people and create a process around that, we think that there is a lot of value. And hopefully, uh, and in our, in our experience, working as a team and approaching problems as a team is more successful than doing it alone. Mm, nice. Um, in the lead up to this interview, I interviewed a couple of students who were really passionate about computer science and saw themselves with a career in computer science. Let's hear from Danica, who's in year 11 at St. Michael's College. So I think I want to do high performance computational physics, which is a degree at Adelaide Uni. So it's a four-year course. It's a double degree because of the amount of work. Um, yeah, so it's basically um, programming, math, physics, a lot of all of it. So when I get out of uni, I'll be able to basically program supercomputers and or physicists depending on what my interests are then. So, yeah. I'm wondering how your deep computer knowledge, your deep knowledge in computer science has supported or defined your career. So, I mean, I, I love computers since I was a kid and it's a really... It's a really interesting problem because, you know, I liked, I liked computers and I had, you know, the early computers that were on, you know, floppy disk drives and, and took ages to load and were so slow. Um, and I have kids now and I, and I see my kids who love computers as well. And, you know, with kids at the moment, there's this big thing against screen, having too much screen time. Um, when I was a kid, there wasn't so much of that. It was more like the kids who were into computers. There weren't many people who were into computers. Um, but that's so, – so it wasn't a big thing that, you know, you've got to keep them off the computer. But um, 
it's it's tricky because to get a real passion for something and to get really good at something, you have to put years and years of of effort into it, right? You can't. I don't think you'd have a lot of success if you just rock up at university and go, oh, I'm I'm gonna do I'm gonna be a computer scientist without having um, you know, some interest in it prior to that. And and especially for something like computer science, because computer science and and the engineering type degrees, I think people have long histories of passion for. Right? And there are, and, and I think there are other degrees that they don't, right? There's not there's not kids who are out um, I don't know, like um, I, you know, doing maybe doing law, maybe you know, there's not many primary school kids who have a passion for law, mm-hmm. but there's lots of ki- primary school kids who love computers and who, you know, who are beginning to learn how to program now and can and can can feel that passion. So I'm not really answering your question at all, am I? Yeah, no, you're. It's it's interesting hearing about um about how your love of computers translated into you studying computer science deeply, because I think that there is definitely a difference there between engaging with a computer and whether that's like playing computer games to then, you know, deciding to go down a track where you deeply understand how computers work, the way they work and can build programs. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, it wasn't really like they were two separate things. They were the same thing because to be able to play a computer game, um, everything was so basic at that point. You had to go and, and buy a network card and then you had to figure out how to install a network card and then you had to go and buy a network switch and buy the right cables because you didn't know which cables to use to connect them all together. And then they're on a network and, and they didn't just work automatically. It took like hours and hours to, to get things to work. So half the, the battle of actually... Um, playing a computer game was figuring out how to get everything to work. And I think that's probably similar today. I mean, I think things are a lot easier now, but for a lot of kids, they would spend a lot of time, you know, investigating that, figuring out how they can get, I don't know what it would be today, but maybe like a lower ping time so that their computers run far, you know, can connect to the network faster or they can get a little bit more performance out of the computer so that they'll have a better experience. So there's, there's so much, um, so many areas that you can find a passion in with this type of technology, uh, or at least you know me and, and a lot of my friends were able to find interesting in this. And then and then we went and well, I went and did computer science, and that was very different because I hadn't done a lot of I'd done a little bit of programming, but I hadn't done much programming before that. And um, I did computer science at Adelaide, and that was that was a great course, and you learned so much more about you know the theoretical aspect of computers um, that weren't really you know, wasn't easily accessible um, outside of university at that time. And, and it's probably not at the moment either. It's probably you need to go and do that kind of course. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, as I think the question you said, read out said, there's, there's so much crossover between physics and maths and uh, engineering. They're all, they're all tied in together. And, um, you know, there's that quote that says software will eat the world or is eating the world. And I think that's, that's pretty. Um, that's a pretty true statement. Like most companies nowadays are either software companies, or you know, like a hairdresser or something very uh, service personalized, service oriented, or they're they're really going out of business. So big companies like Meyer and David Jones, been around for you know a very long time. You know, are getting um, they're getting basically destroyed by new technolo- technologically. Uh, focused companies that can do their, what they were doing at a much uh, lower cost and, you know, with a better experience for consumers. So 
Uh, and that I think that's happening everywhere, not just you know in retail, but you know in in almost every business is getting disrupted by uh, software. So um, you know if your questioner has a you know wants to go and run a high performance computing, I think that's fantastic. Um, they they have a, I, when I was at Adelaide Uni, they had a, a high performance computing um, program there, um, which and that was you know a while ago now and probably that big room full of computers would be no more powerful than like an apple uh <laughs> macbook now but um you know you learn all the theory and and that's the bit that that really counts on those things mm-hmm. i imagine it's one of those fields that is just constantly changing so as soon as you step away from from the university course things have already um sort of changed in the industry and and you know i, I imagine it would be very easy to be out of date with it how do you keep your computer science knowledge um sort of cutting edge and and current yeah that's a really good question and i think that is a real that is a real challenge with computer science um because if it's not a passion it's really hard to keep up because um you know as maddie you're saying it changes so quickly um you know and and other jobs don't like there's lots of jobs that don't it, it's just that computing changes so quickly that you have to, you know, you're always learning new stuff, which can be really painful because if you don't, if you're not passionate about it, it it'll grind you down. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think for a lot of people who in, you know, in the early or late nineties or early two thousands, they saw computing as, you know, there was a big dot com bust and the big dot com boom where all these big computer companies came out. And a lot of people who weren't really into computing, um, thought, oh, I'll do that as a career and that'll be great. Uh, but what I think a lot of people find is that, you know, it's not, you know, if you're doing it because of the hype, it, it, you know, without the interest, it might be really hard to sustain that over the long term. I mean, ma- maybe you'll find your interest in it, but um, it's definitely one of those, uh, you know, careers where you're always learning. Um, you can't stop. Mm. You're um, one of our podcast guests who perhaps spends the most amount of time in schools and working with young people. And I imagine you're probably quite well equipped to advise any young people listening along who are interested in a STEM pathway, um, sort of career pathway post school uh, um, on, you know, what what it is that they should be doing uh, to position themselves to be successful in that STEM pathway. Would you have any advice for them? Um. I'm not sure about advice, but I do. I definitely think that the aspect that was missing when I went through school was that emphasis on group work and collaboration. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure what it's like now in high school, um, but as, as I said before, high school for me was quite competitive, and uh, there wasn't much emphasis on group work or working together in teams. And I, and you know, there was me included, there was kids in my class who, who got out of school and realized that actually being able to work with other people is, is one of the most important things. Obviously, to get in, you know, to do well in those hard STEM degrees, you need to have good marks and you have to be able to study, um, study well. Uh, to me, that's kind of a given, but the bit that surprised me was how much, um, how much value there is, is being, being able to work with other people and get along with other people and, and, um, figure out how to do that in a, you know, in a, in a good way. And that's something that I don't think when I was at school was taught very much. And I hope it's being taught more, um, in high school. I mean, we, we're trying to teach it in, in primary school, our programs for, but, um, definitely focusing on that. So if, whether or not that's 
by going out and and joining clubs that are in, you know things that you're interested in. Um, you know, there's lots of um, different kind of STEM type clubs, like uh, whether it's a you know a, a coding or programming type club or a, a makerspace type um, club where they they're making things and engineering things, or um, anything like that. Figuring out how to get along with people is is one of the most important things that uh, was definitely neglected maybe a little bit in my uh, when I was at school and uh, hopefully I've gotten better at it but it's definitely something that you know I wish I'd focus more on mm. it's funny by nature stem um, is integrated you know it's sort of otherwise we would say science technology engineering and maths and uh, and yep. it's it's interesting that that's then reflected in the need to integrate with other people and sort of and collaborate ideas um, in order to be successful in the field yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly true. I mean, I'm glad that they're, they're seeing that um, yeah more integrated rather than siloed, which you know I think it used to be. But it's definitely like all these all these types of technologies, whether it's computer science or engineering or, or maths, um, they all gain value exponentially when you combine them with other things um, mm-hmm. rather than just focusing on them alone. Yeah. Totally. Thank you so much for joining us for the um, Catholic Education South Australia podcast, John. It's been really awesome to chat. Oh, thank you, Maddie. Thanks for listening to another podcast from Catholic Education South Australia. For more information about our organisation, check out our website at cesa.catholic.edu.au.